My name is uh, Luis Minero. I'm, I'm a, a researcher, an author. And um, another thing that I do is I give classes on, on paranormal phenomena, on out-of-body experiences. And basically, the reason why I started on all of this is because uh, since uh, I was a teenager, maybe 13 or so, 12, I think, I had an out-of-body experience just out of the blue, involuntary. You know, I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know that it had a name or that other people had already, you know, had them. It just happened. Um, but it was so, that, that moment was so lucid, so aware. I was so clear outside my body and I was able to see my physical body, you know, lying in, in bed where I would take naps after, after school, that when I came back, I was even a little bit like, uh, I was over there, but I was over here, but I was over there. And honestly, I didn't quite understand it. But at that time, you know, uh, with the mindset of a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old, um, probably somebody called me to go play soccer or baseball or something, and I just put it out of my mind, and I didn't think about it again. And then uh, after that, during my teenage years, I started having them maybe not that frequent, maybe once a year, once every eight months or so. And it wasn't until I was maybe like 17 or 18 that I read the first book that actually had a name for it. You know, Astral Travel was the, the, the name that the, that the author gave to it. And then obviously after that, I started trying to look for books on out-of-body experiences. Uh, I joined a, few, a couple of institutions that also did research and knew about it. And, you know, I took on from there as, as I understood techniques and I started practicing a little bit more. Mm. So what was it about the, the first out-of-body experience that intrigued you so much to investigate further? Because most people, I think, would think of it as more of a, some sort of dream or weird hallucination as opposed to a real phenomena. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Well, first of all, I don't know if, I, if I, it was clear in my mind at that time what a hallucination was because <laughs> I was just 12. So the, the thing maybe that intrigued me the most was that the, the level of awareness. I knew that I was aware outside the body. And, you know, a part of the reason why that happened, let me see if I can give a little bit of, of, of more context. At that time, I was starting to take classes on programming languages, on basic. I know a little, little nerd, a little geek, you know, way back, way back when. And back then also the the computer, you know, the, it wasn't a laptop the way we, we had today that they already have everything, but it was one of these computers that you would attach to your uh, to your TV. And then I had it in my bedroom. And my habit was when I came from school, I would put my hands on the keyboard and I would start to think about the program that I was going to design. And then I would turn it on and go for it. And all of this was because my dad hadn't bought me at that time a hard disk. So it didn't have a hard disk. And the moment I turned off the computer, the program was gone. So it was a, a little cruel for a 12 year old, but you know, it was, it was a game. It, it was what we had. So um, on that specific day, I became a little sleepy and then I went and I took a nap. And then after maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes or what seemed to me like 20 minutes because I had fallen asleep, I was again looking at the monitor or at the, at the TV, you know, in front of me and thinking about the program I wanted to design. So I think that probably because it was such an intellectual activity that was forcing me to, you know, to to come up with solutions, that's probably what awoken my, my awareness, my lucidity at that specific moment. 
but after you know a few seconds that I was thinking about the program, you know, already outside the body, I started wondering, wait a second, wasn't I sleepy? Didn't I go to sleep? I had like the memory that I had, you know, gone to sleep. So when I sort of like turned around and I saw my body on the bed, I realized that's me. And that surprised me. And I went into my body. And then I immediately woke up, uh, you know, inside the body. And I, and I was like pointing to my chair and I knew, wait a second, I was over there. But I was also over here, you know, and I, and I honestly didn't understand what had happened. But it was just the fact that I was so aware that I had been seeing myself from that other vantage point and that I knew that I had been on the chair, you know, thinking about the, about the program. Now, uh, later on, I remember, you know, on other nights, I would even think, uh, oh, I wish I could have that again, you know, but I really didn't know how to induce it. And I didn't really have a name. I thought it was some type of cool dream, honestly, mm -hmm. you know, using, uh, to, to be honest, my word was dream back then, you know, this, that like different type of dream, but because I really didn't know what it was. I had another one, you know, maybe like a year later where I was just floating um, outside of my bedroom, you know, by the hallway and I could see my dog sleeping and I was just sort of like flying and floating, you know, and I remember at that time thinking, oh, this is like that other time, uh, but I can fly. And I was doing sort of like cartwheels in the air, you know, things that I probably did physically, you know, in school. Uh, at that time. Um, and then after a while, I also lost the awareness and I came back to my body. So I think that the main thing that caught my attention was that I was very sharp and that I could remember even things, you know, from from uh, from past experiences and from my day to day, you know, because I, I even remember a couple of times, you know, seeing the dog walk by and me trying to think back on whether we had fed him or he had done X, Y or Z, you know, different little details, you know, related to, to our day-to-day, but that, um, you know, it showed me how my memory was active at that moment. Mm -hmm. So many people have now kind of, or rather <clears throat> a lot of psychologists, I suppose, have now looked at the nature of, of dreams and the mind during sleep and have come up with the concept of lucid dreaming. So I'm sure right. you know about that. What What would you say were the differences between um, a lucid dream and the experiences that you had? Yeah, I think that, first of all, it's the degree of awareness. I, I mean, I don't know if at that moment I had it so clear, but I could feel that there was a difference. Meaning, you know, even when you're in a very lucid dream, you become aware precisely of the fact that you are dreaming and you don't become aware that you are awake. So it's clear for you that you are in a dream and that you can control it, of course, and that you can change things. So you can wish, you know, for uh, this entire scene to fade away and for you to be, I don't know, in Hawaii. And that happens. You can control that. And while you are in, uh, in, the, in reality, you know, as much as I wish at this moment to be in Hawaii, my body just <laughs> doesn't get transferred. Unfortunately, I'm sad to say, you know, doesn't get transferred to Hawaii. Uh, and the same thing would happen in, in the, in the out-of-body experience. I wasn't able to change the, re the external reality. You know, it was something that was separate from me, independent from me, just like the physical reality at this moment that we are that we are observing, right? So, um, but also the fact that I, you know, in a lucid dream, I could, you know, I knew that I was aware of the fact that I was dreaming. And that in, in an out-of-body experience, I knew I was aware 
of this other situation that again at that moment I didn't I didn't really have a name for. Mm. A lot of people that have had out of body experiences describe that they enter a state where they can travel to places at will or change things in the environment at will. Um, they refer to that as mainly practitioners of astral projection. So is astral projection different from an out-of-body experience in the sense that they're able to do that with their minds? Yeah, I, th I think that the, the reason why there are all of these classifications, you know, as soul travel, out-of-body experiences, astral projection, some people use them as synonyms and other people use them as different types of experiences. And, and the main thing that seems to vary is one, the level of awareness that you have on, on each and two, sort of like the place or the reality or the dimension, uh, you know, where you're going. So when you are in uh, dimensions or in realities, in planes that are a little bit closer to the physical reality, you know, closer, obviously not in terms of meters and feet and distance, but, you know, sort of like dimensionally closer mm. or vibrationally closer, if, mm. if I can say this. Like layers, uh, yeah. Yeah, like a layer that is closer to the physical reality they tend to be a little bit less docile, less malleable to our, to our will and to our, um, yeah, to our will, to our desires, to our wishes. Well, when you start to go to higher frequencies or to layers that are further away, they tend to be a lot more responsive and you're able to get to places much faster. Even on layers that are closer to the, to the uh, physical reality, you feel sometimes heavy and as if you're moving like in water or in molasses, you know, when you're trying to run in a mm -hmm. pool mm -hmm. and that's actually a, a very good exercise, you know, uh, but everything is heavy and you do it in slow motion. And by the way, talking about lucid dreams, sometimes people have uh, dreams in which they are moving very slowly or they are, mm -hmm. you know, like uh, struggling to advance. Most mm -hmm. of the times and many times I would say, those are actually out-of-body experiences in these realities that are a little bit more heavy. It's just that because they're heavy, also our level of awareness is usually a little bit less, so it looks a little bit more dreamlike. It feels more dreamlike. Mm. Um, but normally, it's more because you are in those in those realities. Mm. And I've you know I've had many of those dreams myself, and I've, in fact, quite common. And you always wake up knowing that it was a dream just by yeah. the and you don't really experience it while you're there it's just a kind of the memory that you have of it when you wake up it's a it's, dreaming is a very strange thing so i suppose you could define the out-of-body experiences as, as simply that you know the experience of being outside of the body whereas something like astral travel or soul travel is is more navigating through these different layers of experience yes Yes, yeah, you, you go, you, you could define it like that. And again, some people use them all as synonyms, out of body experience, doesn't matter how far or, or where you happen to be, it's already outside the body, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes I think it's just the way in which, you know, different people uh, choose to organize, you know, where you're going or how far you're going. Uh, but yes, in essence, you can, you can disconnect from your body and be closer in your level of, uh, be closer to the physical body or, in a closer layer, or you can go much further out and, you know, um, explore not just the physical reality, you know, at a distance, but also even other other layers as we were discussing hmm. as well. Yeah. Have you had any interesting experiences on, to use the language now, in further places away from the physical? Yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes you don't even know um, how to refer to that uh, beyond your memory, meaning 
you are in another layer, you are in another dimension, you are seeing things that are different or, you know, people that already passed away, you know, talking a little bit about um, meeting other other individuals. I, I have met my maternal uh, grandfather, you know, uh, a few times. And who's passed? Who's passed? Who passed, you know, already about 20 years ago? Yes, good, good. <laughs> Important to say that he's passed, of course. Uh, to clarify that, um, and um, you know the place where he sat, which I I I can describe, uh, you know, I I know the details of it. I don't have like an address to give to it or a name to give to it because I I don't know even if there is such a thing. So the way in which you, for example, get back to that place or go to that uh, layer again has to do with your memory. You were already there. Now, on another opportunity, to, you leave the body, you remember, you focus, you put your intention on going to that place and you use your memory. And then, of course, you know, uh, you end up arriving at that specific layer or others, you know, like, uh, like such. And, um, and again, yeah, this is the, the pretty much the mechanism that you use to get to different, to different layers. Now, another thing is uh, you probably have heard in the uh, the people watching, hearing this have also heard about the, the individual that many individuals describe as the spirit guide. I'm just going to use the more generic term. Obviously, I know many people call it by different names. That The problem of synonyms here in the physical reality. Mm. Um, sometimes I, I actually even like that, uh, you know, the, the expression spirit guide because sometimes he or she works almost as a guide Almost as if, sometimes I feel almost as if they grabbed you by the hand and they're taking you someplace for you to observe something or see something. And normally there is some type of, uh, that experience has some type of a lesson for you or some type of, um, uh, yes, a lesson, uh, learning. Sometimes it's immediately clear, sometimes it isn't. You know, uh, it takes a little bit of, you know, of thought until you realize, hmm, this is what, what they were trying, you know, to, mm. to show me or to let me know. So that is also another way in which you sometimes get to new places or to new layers. Mm -hmm. So um, are these environments, um, well, I suppose first, what, what the, the environments that you find as you go through layers into next and next and higher and higher and higher, how do they differ? What, how, how would you describe those? Yeah. I, I, what I would say is, and you know, and we use words here in the physical reality, like, and I myself use them like a frequency or vibration. And I know that these are words that give the idea, that pass on the idea very clearly and quickly to people in the sense that there are like these layers where maybe, you know, there's a vibration at a different frequency or, or something along those lines or density. I also many times use the word density. And they all give the idea of clear and quick. Um, what I see is really doesn't, doesn't really have anything to do with any physical property per se. You know, now thinking a little bit about, you know, in terms of science, it's not the vibration, it's not the amplitude yeah. of the wave, it's not more mass packed in less space, and therefore it's more dense. It, I, I don't think it has anything to do with that. What it seems to me is that uh, when, you, when you are outside the body and you are thinking, your thoughts are imprinted in the energies or and you are manifesting energies or you are thinking. And the quality of those thoughts, if they are more 
um, evolved, more developed, more peaceful, more serene, tends to give a quality to the energy that is a little bit lighter and you actually feel it a little bit lighter. And if it is a little bit more uh, terrestrial or more, um, I don't know, denser emotionally, if I could describe it in, the, in this fashion, then the energies also tend to be different. And this difference in the quality of energy creates layers that um, that we ourselves, it seems, you know, or all the individuals that are outside the body, people that have, uh, you know, passed away and people who are waiting to be born, they also have their own thoughts and their own, you know, uh, level of thoughts. So we ourselves seems we have manifested that, that, that quality of energies and we have created these tons of layers that now you can go and visit and you move through them really using your memory and using your thoughts. If you start sort of like meditating the way, for example, Jordan was, was uh, mentioning, you know, during our lectures at IONS, if you start meditating outside the body and you center yourself and you think, you know, uh, positive, developed, evolved, uh, assistential thoughts, ethical thoughts, usually you tend to gravitate towards the higher layers. But if, it, if you leave the body and you're upset, you know, with a problem at work and you keep on, you know, complaining about, you know, X, Y, and Z, normally you're going to gravitate, you know, towards layers that are a little bit lower. So it's, it's very much um, seems to be, you know, the quality of the thoughts, the quality of the energies, the quality of the emotions, even sometimes, you know, again, because we have to communicate in words, we try to say, you know, you find denser emotions in the layers closer to the physical reality and evolve sentiments, just trying to use another word, you know, evolve sentiments, you know, in the higher planes, so to speak. So what do these higher planes, I suppose, look like if you were to describe them, you know, aesthetically? Yes, yes. You know, no, normally what tends to happen is that on the higher planes, you tend to find less structures. So it's less, um, yeah, less structures. It, 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 Meaning in the in the lower planes, you find, for example, almost like in the physical reality, you know, houses, roads, uh, congregations of people, cities, um, plants. I say, you know, I put it like between quotes because some of the fauna that you that you find sometimes looks different from from the one that you're used to here, and depending on the reality, depending on the dimension. But as you start to go to the upper layers, these realities and these structures start to disappear. And it's almost as if the individuals that gravitate towards those higher dimensions, they require less these structures. They don't need to rely on them. So one of the conclusions that me and other people sometimes we have arrived at is that it seems as if, again, we are producing the thoughts, we are producing the energies, the sentiments that are, that are creating you know, these dimensions. So it's almost as if, if you are a little bit more capable internally and you are in this other dimension, you don't need to create a certain reality. For example, something that I'm sure you have heard and many people have heard and you uh, probably having experiences that you have seen and it's actually a lot of fun, is you leave the body, you can fly. You can fly and you can, you know, go and do and, you know, do a lot of mm -hmm. stuff. Not the most important benefit, but certainly one of the, the ones that is... Mm. And that, that now, includes you can fly through physical objects as well, can't you? Walk as well, through. yes, you can yeah. go through physical objects as well. Yes, indeed. Now, 
But even though we are flying in an out-of-body experience, on many of the layers, uh, we want to see over what we are flying. So you want to see, you know, the ground, the uh, the landscape, you know, the city, etc. And as you are enjoying and trying to see the ground and the landscape, it's almost as if your thoughts that you are sending and trying to see are also reinforcing the reality of ground and of the landscape. And I say that because when you go to other dimensions, there is no ground. There is no up and down. You're almost like floating in space. And then, you know, you're talking to somebody and somebody else comes to talk to you and they, they're no longer aligned, you know, the heads here and the feet here, but they are talking to you almost like a 90 degree angle. And for them, it's very normal. And they don't, they don't rely anymore on the conditioning or on the concept of up and down or who is, you know, you're gonna fall anywhere. Really also, also another thing that is interesting, maybe even for the physicists, you know, um, the concept of gravity seems to have disappeared over there. I, I, I don't understand even gravity here fully. I don't know if anybody fully understands gravity in the physical reality, but much less do you understand that, you know, in those realities, but you do observe the fact that nobody's falling anywhere and that you're not being attracted in any place and nobody seems to be thinking what is up and what is down. And you no longer need a structure, for example, to, to be in, to cope, for example. Why, why do, because you start to think about all of these things. Why do kids, when they are 19 or so, uh, want to move away from their parents and stay in a, in a room with three other roommates uh, that is crowded and, you know, now they, have, they don't have their food made and, you know, uh, uh, when they could have stayed at their parents with their own room, their own warm meal, you know, their laundry being done, I don't know. Part of it is independence, but part of it is also we want to have our place. We feel secure in, you know, having our walls and People want to buy their house if possible. And, you know, all of this is, is part of the conditioning also of the physical reality. Now, you leave the body and in many dimensions, you still find that drive towards, towards having a specific structure that you call your own and your own space. And then you, to a certain extent, with time, as you think about that, you also create your own space and your own walls in those realities. So the reality might not be as malleable or as docile, but with time, you create it, you form it, and now you have a city that was created out of your own thoughts and sentiments and needs. But as you become more developed and you see this in other realities, they are so stable and fine with themselves that they don't necessarily need a space to call them their own. They are okay. So then what ends up happening in those realities is that they don't think about creating this space around themselves and therefore, you don't see it. You arrive at that plane, at that layer, and you know there are no houses, no structures, no streets, no ground anymore. Even because the astral body, uh, uh, I'm using also the most generic term here, the astral body that can fly doesn't really get tired like the physical reality. So it doesn't really need to rest on, a gro on ground. Obviously, we understand this. You know, I, I, I many times say in the classes, I can explain this and people understand it. But even though we understand it, we still want it. I myself, when I leave the body and I'm on those dimensions, I want to see over what I am, you know, I am walking and I am thinking this exact same idea. 
wait a second, I don't, I don't need to see this. But oh, look, there's that sign, there's that structure, let me go into here. And you put it out of your mind. So there's a difference between understanding the concept and already having completely incorporated into who you are. So those individuals in those upper layers, they, they already, you know, in, have incorporated that completely, they have digested it and they, they just simply don't produce the thoughts of all of these structures, they don't need them. That's why when individuals have, you know, this very, uh, or much rarer, I should say, uh, experiences, like um, uh, they describe where places where there is no, no time, no objects, no space, no, you know, they call it nirvana, samadhi, cosmic consciousness, etc. And you have, you get to those out-of-body experiences, but they're a little bit more rare. They're not the most, mm -hmm. you know, run-of-the-mill of ease that, that, that you can have, but you do see this gradient and it seems to be related to how much of the conditioning or how much of the, yeah, of the conditioning from the physical reality you have done away with, first of all, but uh, that is a reflection of how much you have been able to overcome, how, how fine, how stable, how evolved, I could say, the person is internally and how less it needs gadgets mm. and, and, and tools, so to speak. Mm. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's, this is yeah. too philosophical, but you know. no, no, there's nothing really too philosophical that I go into. I go into things far too philosophically, naturally. Um, a lot of people have, have said, you know, um, because these are believed to be the realms in which we inhabit after physical death, as you say, when you met your paternal grandfather. Yeah. Many have said that the one thing that they would like to experience after their death is the ability to kind of be a god of their own environment. So create an environment with civilizations and kind of just mold it the way they would like to as a recreational kind of wind down, I suppose, after this life. Is that something that happens? For some individuals, yes, uh, because again, it varies quite a bit. What is it that the person is doing in between lives, if I can use this expression, you know, between one and the other. And um, um, sometimes the, the example that I put to try to, you know, uh, I guess, give the idea clearer. And I know it's every time it's an example, it reduces the idea to uh, quite a bit, but uh, so even though there is that cave, that uh, you know that cave, um, I sometimes mention that every physical life is like a school day for a little kid who's going to school. So let let's say we're going to third grade just to pick a, a grade, you know, fifth grade doesn't really matter. So the idea of going to to that school day is to get some experiences, to get some knowledge, to get some learning. And then, but at the end of the school day, we don't stay in school, but we actually go back home and hopefully we do the homework for the next school day. And so the next school day, we're going to be prepared. And we go through this sequence, of course, of, of, of school days, you know, to develop further. So it seems that this is sort of, and again, it's a simplification, but I know it gives the idea clear. It seems that this is what many souls are doing. And every physical life is like a school day in which we are here, gaining knowledge, you know, sort of like in the lab of putting our, uh, our ethics and our objectives into practice and see how it works out and learning from that. And at the end of the school day, we go back home. And then many individuals, what they are doing is they are preparing their next school day in this in-between lives. 
but obviously there is a difference between what the fifth grader is doing when they are not in school as opposed to what is the high schooler doing or what is the PhD student doing or, you know, uh, people above. So it, 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 there is quite a range of individuals. And of course, there are the individuals, you know, uh, using again the school system as, a, as an example. Well, I remember when I was in kindergarten, I had no idea what I was doing from one school day to the other. I didn't even know if tomorrow was a Sunday and I was supposed to go to school or if it was a day in which I wasn't going to go to school. I didn't understand time. I didn't understand the objective. Actually, you know, as slow as I was, you know, with my schoolwork when I was a teenager, I think I only understood the value of education when I was 18. <laughs> mm. Most people understand it much sooner. So when I was in kindergarten, I had no idea where I was going. So in between one school day and the other one, I really wouldn't prepare much. I really uh, didn't even understand the objective of it. And I am saying this because you also see on certain layers individuals who are sort of like in that state that at this moment, they are in essence the ones that need the most attention and the most uh, you know, uh, guidance. Right, you don't really need a lot of uh, guidance when you're in college, but you need a lot of attention, a lot of guidance when you're, you know, in first grade or in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So you see quite a range of activities that people are doing. So some of the, I could say, you know, uh, I don't know if it's at the level of PhD, but some of the university homeworks are, you know, um, trying to create environments and trying to organize, you know how things are going to be at in a, in a new reality, in a new dimension, in a new life, et cetera. It, you know, actually some of those things, they remind me a little bit of these uh, games, these video games like uh, SimCity, where you realize how, how uh, you know, things are complex and there are a lot of details to just simply being, let's say the major of a city or, you know, uh, mm. uh, the governor of a state or something like that. It's not just, you know, I do things on a whim, but there is always pros and cons, you know, to a lot of these types of uh, policies or, you know, or things. But it's a very good learning, for sure. Mm. It's a very good learning. Yeah. The one term I think that gets very misunderstood and in many ways kind of misused is the word energy. Um, because if, if you look at the word energy, yeah. physicists, you're talking to a physicist, energy effectively means the potential for something to do work you know whether it be in the form of kinetic energy or you know it, it's a it's a matter term so when people say energy a lot of physicists get annoyed <laughs> by the way that it's used because that's not what energy is in in science i suppose so what would you how would you define energy in the sense of of spiritual matters yeah no i i agree and you know it, be, it this boils down to you know, the difficulty in expressing realities for which we don't have words, you know, here in the physical reality, right? So we have words to describe things here in the physical reality. And this is the way we communicate. We have to use these words so that people understand us. But obviously, when you're seeing newer realities, um, if you come up with a new word, which many times I have, uh, I, I have, I have my dictionary of things that I have seen that don't exist here, and, uh, you know, I use them for my own notes so that I know that I'm referring to the same thing I saw 10 years ago or, you know, two experiences ago. But obviously, if I mentioned that word to somebody, 
it doesn't mean anything to them because uh, words are based on consensus. So like I was explaining, you know, with density and with, um, you know, uh, the layers of reality, yeah. energy is exactly the same, the same thing. So yes, it's, it's, it's certainly not necessarily the, 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 the physical definition of energy. And the fact of the matter is that, you know, uh, a specific definition of what it is or a scientific specific definition of what it is, spiritually speaking, I wouldn't have. But what I can tell you is that is, it is this substance that you, and when I say spiritual energy, or people say the vibe in a place, it is this substance that we emit from our, from our soul, from our essence, that uh, usually goes out with information related to your mental state, either your, your emotions, your ideas, your sentiments. And depending on this mental state, with, for example, certain properties like uh, color, density, heaviness, speed, etc., that this substance that you're emitting, you know, um, uh, has, you know, so, so, so are the properties of it. But specifically, how to define one unit of that substance, I, I don't know. And, and, and honestly, I don't even know if any of our physical concepts would apply to that. Uh, several, several of the physical concepts from physics, what, what I see is they start breaking down as you go up in the layer. So I'm not quite sure even that it's completely fair to try to give, you know, to try to describe it on physical terms. You know, uh, it wouldn't be fair to those realities, right? To, to, mm. to those dimensions. It just, uh, that's, that's even why, you know, I say it would be great if everybody had in their toolbox the out-of-body experience because then they, they specifically, coming from their different fields and from their different specialties, they're going to be able to understand cer certain aspects about that dimension much, much better than me. You know, I sometimes have students that, that say, look, but how, how does this work? How does that work? And I tell them, look, uh, obviously, one thing is you can go there and you can see a lot of things about the, uh, you know, physical reality, but it doesn't mean that you're a specialist on all the details, you know, so it would be like, you know, discovering a new land with new, you know, animals and new trees and new things. I can go and visit that place, but if a botanist comes and tells me, look, is there, you know, does this type of flower over there reproduce in this fashion? I'm going to say, look, first of all, I don't even know what flower that is. <laughs> Second, I don't understand fully the reproduction of those, <laughs> mm. of those, of those specific, you know, genera of, of flowers or of trees. And, you know, a zoologist can ask me about something else and a linguistic can ask me about, you know, the language of the natives. And I'm like, look, I can barely understand adverbs in English, much less in other languages or the grammar of them. So, but if you learn to leave the body, please help me <laughs> and help everybody with that. You are going to understand, you know, the structure of their language is better. I wish I could, you know, get to everything. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you obviously understand certain things, but the, 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 the non-physical world is much, much richer than the physical world. And even this physical world already challenges us tremendously. You know, this is why there is such a such a degree of a specialization. So the same thing applies to the non-physical world. So I, uh, yeah, 
I, I wouldn't have a specific definition, a, a scientific specific definition of energy, but it's certainly this substance that, that, that we manifest. And it has other properties. I can certainly describe other things. For example, if you are thinking about a specific, um, a specific person, that, that the target of your thoughts usually receives some of this energy. So if you're thinking, if you're outside the body, thinking about your mother and worried about her and wishing her the best, this energy and outside the body, you see this even a little bit more visually, but you feel how this energy flows towards your mother. And now you're connected energetically or, you know, with this substance to your mother and basically almost like embracing her with your sentiments of concern or, you know, I, I wish her the best, etc. So that, 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 that the, the, this energy again, you know, uh, tends to reach the target, the intended target. And the same thing, if you're thinking, let's say about work, you're thinking, oh, I left those papers over there. And, you know, all of a sudden you feel how your energy goes and it's now embracing your desk at work. And you sometimes even can have a clairvoyance outside the body of the, the papers on top of the desk. And now you're seeing them. So the, sub the substance connected you with that with that place as well so that's you know another one of these uh properties of it mm -hmm. hmm. so i suppose what would you say to those who would say you know different dimensions traveling outside the body meeting deceased people and everything you know going to these places of paradise whatever after physical death sounds great but it's all nonsense we know that, the, that you are your brain and once your brain dies that's it out like a like a match you know, and the, these ideas are only held by those who are afraid of death and need something to cope, and it's not a scientific matter. Right, right, and, and I've had those individuals. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I think we all yeah. Have, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Uh, well, what I would say is, you know, uh, the person needs really to experience it. Uh, so, certainly, uh, there is no argument, and, and I really wouldn't want to to convince anybody, but. There is no argument that you can give because in the physical reality, obviously, we only have the input from our physical senses. And certainly, probably those individuals would discard, you know, the, you know, when people even in the physical reality have intuitions and things that, you know, you would, you, you know, beyond your physical senses, right? They would discard it as statistics and, you know, coincidences. Yeah. yeah, coincidences, et cetera, et cetera. What I would say is you need to, you know, um, you need to experience it to realize that it's not a psychological need, that it's not a, a hallucination. Uh, but I do understand how from their perspective, just being inside the physical reality, you know, this at this moment still just being a potential thing that could exist or not for them because they haven't experienced it. This could be as valid as a hallucination or as a dream, or as a psychological need. I, I get that argument, absolutely. Mm. And I think actually they're being correct with their experiences. But the, the, what happens is the moment that you have the experience and you realize it is not, it is not a dream, it's another phenomena. And then at the same time, you know, you cannot um, now, how could I say, discard it. Uh, because that also would be anti-scientific, right? Not not wanting to study something that now you realize that it actually exists. So um, so I think that it boils down to also to the issue of 
whether you have experienced it or not. And um, and there isn't um, there isn't much you can do with it. Sometimes it, it it reminds me a little bit. I think I was describing this just recently. How uh, and I read it. Uh, I read it on the book, and I'm not going to remember the name of the person. Laverge, I think it was. How he used to describe how in the '70s in psychology, you know, the idea that they had of uh, lucid dreams was that this was sort of like a contradictory term. They couldn't exist because dreams, in, by definition, were had to be unconscious, so they couldn't be lucid dreams. But of course, you know, there were psychologists who had had a lucid dream and who were already advocating and thinking, "Look, we have to change this. You know, that definition cannot be just that." So, um, so the the reason why the the tide, to a certain extent, was changed or why it started was precisely because of those individuals that had already had, you know, a different type of experience. So, so I would say it's certainly not a matter of belief. It's not a matter of convincing. It's a matter of the person having the experience. That that it, that it's really that is really the essence to to what it boils down to. You have mm. to have it in order to in order to understand it. Mm. Although there are several people who have claimed that they have had out-of-body experiences and were able to explain it, such as, you know, Dr. Susan Blackmore or the late James Randi. Sure. Claimed to have these out-of-body experiences and still were able to recognize them as hallucinations or non-objective yes. experiences, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, and also, of course, it depends on the type of experience that you have. Because certain experiences like the ones you have, they could be explained by you know physical you know by by uh, physical descriptions or physical things and and that's fine you know uh, and, and maybe there's there where but that doesn't mean of course that all of the experiences you know fall into that category uh, you know it also reminds me of of certain experiments that um, you know they have made where you know you can you can uh, stimulate you know a certain part of the brain and you can yeah, you know, make the person, junction. yeah, and you can, for example, make the person start to to remember or a smell, you know, the smell of a lemon or the smell of something else, right? So, of course, you know, you can stimulate the brain and you can have that smell. That's great. But that doesn't mean that the real smell of lemons doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It only means that you can also reproduce it through the brain. And, and maybe in some instances, it was just a reproduction of the dream. But again, in many instances, as we know, the lemon exists. So it, that, 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 that just simply explains a very narrow set of out-of-body experiences or of potential out-of-body experiences. So it would be also would be logical to, just because we can explain, we can explain this narrow set, you know, to apply it to the, to the larger set of out-of-body experiences. Mm. For example, and that seems, that seems yeah, to happen quite a lot because there was a, an experiment by Dr. Olaf Blank who Blank, stimulated yeah. the, the temporal temporal parietal junction and, and their subject popped out of their body. And so yeah. that's seen as proof that it's all in the brain. It's all brain chemistry. Exactly. You know. It, it, mm. And, you know, and sometimes also it's the way it gets translated in the popular media as well. Because, you know, I, I've had conversations with Blank about this. Uh, and, you know, he was just saying this is, and, and if you read the paper, he was just saying this could potentially explain some of the out-of-body experiences, but he, he's not using the blanket statement. Now this explains all of the out-of-body experiences, you know, in, in, in all of those, uh, in all of its possibilities. No, 
Uh, so sometimes also in the media it gets, you know, um, translated or simplified, you know, and already the blanket statement is used. And, um, and, and in essence, it, it, many, many of those scientists are just simply explaining this happened, you know, and I observed this, but again, you know, I'm not trying to say anything about real levels. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> the smell here was this. So, um, so yeah, that as well, that, that, that tends to happen uh, quite a bit. Indeed, using the blanket statement. And, and, and probably it is also our need, you know, to simplify things. Um, I remember having also a, an interesting discussion with another friend psychologist who said, you know, who was uh, asking me precisely whether it, there was a need inside of me to have out of body experiences. And I remember telling him, look, this is almost like saying, is there a need for uh, quantum physicists to uh, find new quantum particles or is it more that they actually found them because you could say the theory you know of the atoms was fine up to neutrons and protons and electrons there was no need to find anything else and it's something that you also sometimes are not able even to see uh, but just measure certain effects but even in astronomy there are certain things like you know wormholes and things that you really don't have a lot of evidence so the fact that those physicists came up with those uh, theories, is it because they have a psychological need to have them? Or because there is, you know, maybe another mathematical model that might explain it better and certain things eventually even get verified, you know, like gravitational waves and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the, the argument, is there a need, a psychological need to have them? That one could be used for a lot of things. And I don't know, again, if many times it's, it's, it's applied in the, in the right sense, because one thing is, there are two different things. And even, we could argue, somebody could have a psychological need of that, and that still doesn't deny the fact that they exist. Mm as well so yeah for, for example you know there's a physical need for food to, to for us to survive but that doesn't mean that it's our need that creates the food the food's already there you know right that as well yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so so is is the out-of-body experience purely or the astral projection and out-body? is it purely a subjective phenomenon or, or is there um, studies or evidence that has been gathered in empirical means for those of us that have not had the experience yeah, so, um, you know, some of the, first of all, there are, there are certainly several, several studies, for example, on what, what are called the flying experiments, where, you know, uh, a scientist uh, puts a specific hidden object or, you know, uh, a number, and, you know, sometimes to make a double blind, I'm going to try to summarize a huge chapter here, to make a double blind is just simply a little screen that generates the number so that the scientist doesn't really know either what the number is, you know, and the person has to go in and see the number or see the object or try to affect everything. And these types of experiments have been done, certainly quite a, uh, quite a bit. Uh, I, I would say certainly they, they, there is information, you know, uh, quite a bit of it actually um, on those types of experiments. But I would bring it back again to the personal issue of, you know, um, it seems at the end of the day, that whether people believe in it or not, it becomes more of a personal thing than of a study, 
really, because there are studies and uh, like those, and they're going to be people who are going to be arguing for them, and some that are going to be arguing against them. So, uh, so that's why I bring it back to the to the personal issue. You can have out of body experience. I can tell you several, even from my colleagues who also give the classes. And, and you can, and a researcher in essence could also even do this. You can have an out of body experience where you meet another person outside the body. And now you have a joint experience. And now you come back to the body. And now it's no longer just a subjective experience. Certainly most mm -hmm. of them are subjective. You leave the body and you don't have, you know, uh, evidence from it. And furthermore, you can leave the body and have an experience in the physical reality, and you can go and see something that is happening in the physical reality and then come back and confirm it. I remember, by the way, when I was 18, having an OBE and going to see the license plates of the cars that were parked on the street, you know, behind my house. So, because I, I knew it was a place that I usually didn't walk by at night, so it's not like I knew the neighbors you know, cars, and you rarely memorize license plates, no. but <laughs> you don't even pay attention to them. But then after one time, I remember I, I was able to, to memorize, you know, a couple of the letters of, of one of them, because seeing letters and numbers outside the body is also another, another chapter altogether. There you have me at 3, 4 a.m., you know, with a flashlight going there to, to verify this before they move the car, you know, in the morning. And I realized, yeah, that's right. It was those letters, you know, that, that I had seen. Mm. So you can also do that, you know, to verify it, you know, to yourself. But notice that that also is only possible when you're having experiences in the physical reality. Because the higher up you go on the layers, you have less evidence for the physical reality. Of course, you, yeah. you, you just simply cannot bring anything <laughs> mm. but your description. You know, one, one thing that I did, and this must be on Facebook, and I still need to find the other half of that, uh, or finish, sorry, the other half of that story. Trying to go from subjective to objective, one of the, you know, uh, things that we do is we try to not just simply hear the accounts, but you start to make it statistical. So do a survey of a lot of people and the experiences that they are reporting. And for example, what type of sensations of disconnection they have? What is it that they say that they can do? You know, um, what type of elements they found, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you crunch up all the numbers and now you present it in a statistic fashion. And, you know, this helps to give a little bit more of a, um, I don't like to use the word objective because it's already so definitive, right? But a more, uh, a less subjective quality. Yeah. <laughs> yes, mm -hmm. exactly. So, um, uh, and you see, you know, how many, many people, you know, start to describe basically the same elements to the out-of-body experience and people who, you know, don't know each other or don't, uh, don't have any connection with them, you know. So obviously you don't ask just your family. And your relatives, you know, that would, would, would create a huge bias. But, um, you know, you try to cast a wider net possible and, you know, get statistical data from this. And uh, part of that is, I know I even have it on my Facebook page, you know, from maybe like a couple of years ago. But I have to find time to go back and finish the second half of that to present also all of the rest of that, uh, of that data. So, but again, you know... In, in my perspective, that is interesting. That adds to the to the amount of studies that already exist. 
but it's going to boil down to to the individual indeed mm-hmm. I, I would even say you know knowing that having the need to have out of party experiences doesn't mean that they don't exist I would say because sometimes people have the need to have out of party experience that's what leads them to you know um, develop their skills and to have them and then eventually they end up um, you know being able to confirm certain things like we don't die with a physical death when I say we I'm not referring to the brain or the physical body. That one does die, you know, and completely disappears. But we could keep on existing in, uh, in our memories and everything. And you see this with a simple out-of-body experience. You have an out-of-body experience, and while you are outside the body, you can remember what you had that day for breakfast. So it means the memory is not only on the brain, but now you're here outside the body, you know, and you can remember that. And if you find somebody who already passed away, they remember you. So they themselves, their brain already disappeared completely. Mm. However, their memories are intact. That knowledge is, is, is intact. So in, you know, with uh, near-death experiences, of course, you find a lot of that different type of, uh, of information. Mm. So I suppose, why do you think it is, as there are, many people who can do out of body experience at will and can allegedly you know get veridical information which is true information about the real world and that convinces themselves why do you think it, it is that no study has been done with somebody who can do it at will to completely you know verify that veridical perception does and can take place i think i think it has done it has been you know several studies have been done but also um you know, again, it, it, it uh, you know, even though they have been done, sometimes there are, they are dismissed by certain individuals and other individuals find them as completely, completely acceptable, honestly. First of all. Second of all, also you have the, what, I, what we were mentioning, the perspective of <clears throat> trying to verify something physically and giving physical proof of something that is not physical. And, and that also presents real challenges. So, um, so that's why I bring it back to, to, to the individual. Uh, because in, in order to, when you deal with out-of-body experiences or with many spiritual things, you have to reframe the paradigm. You have to reframe, you know, the criteria. So, you know, is there physical scientific proof of, I don't know, you loving your spouse. You can measure the actions. You can, you can measure, you know, uh, uh, a lot of different things. But, you know, would we, would we say scientifically that that is, you know, love? Mm. Um, yeah. Although I suppose the only, the only difference is, is those that claim they can bring back veridical information. You know, that would be testable. Yes, yes. And, and then again, these studies do exist. You know, uh, there are many, but, but uh, and even with, with classic projectors, you know, with uh, people like Monroe, Ingo Swan, you know, uh, several of those, but, but, but of course, and even, even more recent, somebody who does a lot of that uh, type of thing, you know, that already starts to go into paranormal effects is Dean Radin, of mm-hmm. course. You know, I, I was even in uh, Northern California a few years ago, you know, participating on some of his, uh, some of his uh, 
you know, studies as a, as a guinea pig there. And, you know, um, so if, if you want, if you want a statistical, veridical information, but something is happening beyond just simply the physical senses and, the, you know, what we ascribe to the physical body, there is quite a bit. Um, what, I, what I would consider there is, you know, maybe the question should be, why would society not um, give more weight to that information and to, and to those studies? And I would say it goes back to the conditioning that the physical life and the physical reality imposes on us. We are very used to seeing through these eyes and to just understanding this reality. And, you know, there is physically, just from the physical perspective, there is really no reason why we would understand any other or see any other. And look, and I say this, I have had these experiences, but I completely understand that argument. Um, if I hadn't had the experiences, I would probably be arguing, you know, from that perspective. That's why, you know, um, having the, the, the personal experience is the, the big divider of the waters, you know, and, and at least already, you know, uh, brings the potential of uh, exploring further. Hmm. Many people who would potentially, you know, want to explore further are often held back by several fears. And that is either if they're um, religiously affiliated, their, their fear is that it's yep. of the antichrist of the devil, um, those who are more less religious but more spiritual may be afraid that some demons or bad entities can possess the body while while out of it. Um, others are afraid that they'll get lost and won't be able to come back to the body. Um, and others just think, as I say, it's, it's a, an occult, satanic thing to do. What, what would you say to those kind of fears? Yeah, I, I well, first of all, the fact that people have those fears, it's good for us to acknowledge that they that they are real, that they exist, that the fear you know, paralyzes the person and, and uh, ends up causing a, a real effect. Um, and it, and it, it, I'm, you know, not going to lie, it does present a challenge, of course. And again, it, this goes back a little bit to the idea of conditioning. So, of course, if you grow up your entire life under a certain either religion or a certain belief or a certain, you know, set of ideas, it's, it's hard, you know, to, to switch it off and just simply to um, change again the, 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 the paradigm and the perspective that you have. So um, so I can, I can give the answer, or, or better yet, um, I will give the answer. And actually, on, I think chapter one of my book, I go through many of those, you know, the fear of not coming back, the fear of some entity coming into you and possessing you, the fear of and I give the, the exact explanation for why those things don't happen. Um, but I understand that I am, and I even mentioned in my book, I understand that I am arguing or I am presenting an argument that is going against years and years of physical conditioning and of, you know, relying on that set of ideas and that set of belief or everything else that you do in your life. So it's very hard. <laughs> sometimes to go to go through that and to make a breakthrough. Uh, so, but it, but in essence, certainly you won't get lost. Um, there, there is you won't get lost. There won't be a demon necessarily that will come into you just because you had out of body experiences. That it, that doesn't produce you know these types of possessions or things like that. And um, there are possessions, yes, 
but they don't happen because of out-of-body experiences. They can happen in the physical reality. Thankfully, they are rare. You know, it's not uh, every Joe on a Tuesday afternoon that gets possessed. So, but thankfully, it's a very, a very rare type of an occurrence. Um, but they don't happen because of the out-of-body experience. Now, uh, you cannot get lost. Somebody cannot cut in, cut your silver cord. It's not a devilish thing. You know, you can, um, as many near-death experiences and over years can, can attest, you can have out-of-body experiences and go to what is called, or to what people describe as heavenly places. And, you know, be in the presence of very, very benign beings and get information, you know, that is relevant to you, that is relevant to your life, that is relevant, you know, to your, to, to those close to you. So something that, it, that, that individuals would describe as extremely positive and assistential and has nothing to do with, you know, devilish or cultish things. So, um, so there, there is that aspect that basically the, the, you know, sometimes the dangers of the OBE get a little bit overblown. But the other thing also is that I think that it has to do with history. I, I think that, uh, you know, as the out-of-body experience started to become better known in prior centuries, there were always, it was always part of, you know, many groups who were a little bit more secluded and who were a little bit more occult and who were not in Zoom, you know, trying to put this or put, put it out on YouTube for everybody to see and everybody to understand better the out-of-body experience in a more open fashion. But it was something a little bit more closed. And sometimes because they would get hurt and have a lot of consequences if they were out on the street, you know, on, I don't know, uh, now, Hyde Park, they're giving a lecture on out-of-body experience on top of the little soapbox. So um, back in the Middle Ages, there were real consequences for that. So that's part of the reason why they were occult. But at the same time, within those occult uh, structures, a power structure would get created. And many times the way to control individuals who were underneath you was with fear. You know, so this new kid would arrive. He's very good, but don't go too far. Don't, you know, leave so easily because then this can happen to you, which is the same thing that we still do nowadays. You know, if, if our kids don't go to sleep, you know, we tell them that the wolf, that, you know, somebody will come and eat them. And, you know, it's just manipulation through fear. Obviously that one is fairly harmless, but this one related to paranormal phenomena and out-of-body experiences is also a little bit ingrained in, in, in history and in culture. So uh, sometimes also that, that tends to occur. You tend to identify it with, you know, cults who were the ones who mainly had this information before, not all of them, but, um, and nowadays, obviously it's a, it's a very different thing. So that as well is another, is another reason for, for, you know, the existence of those fears. Mm. So you mentioned that um, possessions do take place. So do entities like what would be commonly called demons or devils or just negative entities do they exist in a, in a with malicious intent? Yes, they exist physically and non-physically. I think that physically we can see evidences, especially nowadays, <laughs> you know, of of individuals. But look, uh, to try to give a very realistic idea, think about the following: Who are the individuals who you find outside the body? They are all of the individuals who passed away in the past six months, in the past three years, in the past 20 years, in the past 50 years. Good people pass away, 
confused people pass away, bad people pass away. People with good intentions pass away, people with bad intentions pass away. So do they exist? Absolutely. Now, do, uh, uh, the, the, the thing that boils down to is, who do you affinitize with? And, 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 or better yet, why would you be close to one of those individuals or not? You know, um, and, or, or what can you do to move away from, from those individuals? So first of all, in, in practice, let me say um, when uh, and during the classes, we spend quite a bit of time, you know, for example, going over energetic exercises uh, to increase your awareness and also to be stronger energetically. Generally speaking, outside the body and in, in terms of energetic influences, even inside the body, something like a possession happens <clears throat> through this substance that we've been calling energy. It's basically a manipulation through energy. Uh, but the antidote to that, and I'm simplifying here lots of chapters, <laughs> but the antidote to that is, you know, your awareness and your energetic uh, strength, your ability to process uh, this substance. And there are exercises that you can do almost like physical exercises, almost like you can do yoga and running for the physical body. There are uh, bioenergetic or energetic exercises that you can do to, to be a little bit stronger with those things. And then those influences don't basically start to lose their effect. They don't, uh, 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 you know, attach you or they don't reach you. This is the right word. They don't reach you mm. uh, at all. So, and this, by the way, you see it even inside the body. Sometimes you go inside the body and you feel in certain environments that you are like being drained energetically and you start you're yawning and you cannot think straight. That's because the vibe there, sometimes it might even be malicious. Sometimes it might even be, you know, incompatible to yours. And you go to other places and you can think clear. You remember things. You can expand yourself very easily. And the energies in those places are more compatible with yours. So even without leaving the body, you could use some of those energetic exercises for taking advantage of the good environments and at the same time, for, let me again simplify, for protecting yourself from negative environments or even from negative entities that might be around without incorporating the OBE. So if you're in a work meeting and somebody, I'm going to uh, paint here a very cartoonish situation, but some of your other coworkers really has it against you and it's blaming you for ABCD, it's not just sometimes their words, sometimes they're not saying anything, but the the energy, the vibe that is coming at you is already an energetic attack in this cartoonish, you know, simplification. So without adding the element of leaving the body, you can do those energetic exercises to repel, to defend yourself from those um, energetic attacks. Obviously, if that coworker had already passed away, now their effect would be from the non-physical to the physical and their intentions would pretty much be the same because another thing that at least we observe and you know, many of the people that uh, I speak to, we observe is nobody changes just because they passed away. We keep on being basically the same person with the same, um, now with a better perspective maybe, but it really depends on the person. And then we still have a lot of things to develop and to grow. I have a tremendous amount of things to, to learn, you know. Uh, so 
no problem. We are all, you know, I know doing the best we can, even the ones that are sometimes malicious, which is interesting. Once you go deep inside of their psyche, so to speak, you realize in their mind, they think that they are doing the right thing, which is uh, such a contradictory thing, you know, uh, but it's the complexity of, not even of the human being, it's the complexity of the soul, the complexity of us as beings, as entities. So, um, so yeah, there, there are things you can do, but those, those conscious, those individuals do exist, of course. So are these experiences um, unique to human, the humankind, or is it the same for other animals as well, wild animals, pets? Yeah, it, it, animals also have them. I, I cannot tell you, again, it's, it's, even in the physical reality, it's difficult. I cannot tell you how much they understand that they are maybe outside the body or, or having a, a separate experience. I, I am not the, the, well, let me, I am not the only one that has had those experiences, but let me say they are rare. It's rare to see an animal aware, awake outside the body. But with, with enough experiences, you'll, you'll, you know, probabilities are that you are, you, you'll find one. But I couldn't say how clear they are that they are now in a different situation from, you know, when they were physically. Uh, but yes, you, you, you do see them. Let me also say, by the way, now that we're talking about, you know, frequency, <laughs> The frequency also, or how easy it is to find a very malicious entity outside the bodies. If we were talking about that, let me not leave that chapter so open. It's extremely rare. Furthermore, let me also add, I mentioned this in my book. It is much, much easier, many fold, many times much easier to find a malicious negative being in the physical reality than outside the body. And, and part of the reason is because inside the body, we are all in the same level, the same layer, in the same dimension. So I sometimes joke that, you know, when we go to the movie theater and we're watching a movie and the movie theater is packed and we're playing these games with the person next to us of who puts our elbow first on the armrest. So the moment that the other guy gets distracted, we put our armrest and now he touches us with his elbow and you're like, I'm not gonna move. Now my, my elbow is already there, let him be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And we're playing these games. What I'm trying to say is this level of proximity in the physical reality is possible because we're all at the physical level. But honestly, we don't know who the person on the next seat is. He might be you know, a serial killer. And in that mm -hmm. case, not only would I give him the armrest, I would give him my entire seat and I would leave. <laughs> but we don't know, you know, or he might be Mother Teresa. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so this level of proximity is possible in the physical reality. However, outside the body, this is very unlikely. And that's why it's much more common in the physical reality. Because outside the body, as people pass away, they also tend to tune in and to affinitize with a layer that has their similar thought pattern. And if you are a normal individual, if you are not a serial killer, you are not going to go to the serial killer dimension. It's actually very difficult. I am sometimes outside the body and, you know, trying to understand some individuals, trying to do some research, trying to do some assistance. I want to go to the more denser layers and it's hard for me to get there. I just don't resonate as much with that. But of course, the same, the same thing applies 
going, you know, to the higher dimensions. I would like to spend all my time on the upper layers. And I realize it's not that easy for me to connect to that because I am not that good. I would like to think that I am good. My mother still thinks that I am that. But in reality, I realize I leave the body and I am, you know, middle of the road. And I, you know, I would like to be in the dimension of my spirit guides all the time. It just doesn't happen. I am not, I don't connect to that that easily. So outside the body, there is this stratification because of the layers, which doesn't exist inside the body. So finding these individuals outside the body, it is rare. So I, I say that also so that, you know, people who are <laughs> listening to us don't think that they're going to leave the body and, you know, they're going to find lots of demons. This is not the case. This is, you know, my friends here in Hollywood, California, producing a lot of movies that then produce a lot of questions in the classes. <laughs> so I have had to answer tons of questions about movies like Insidious and, you know, all yes. kinds of movies that I wouldn't recommend to anybody, by the way. <laughs>